Hey, get your Bibles out and open it up to the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to be reading out of Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, here in just a moment. Last week, I mentioned to you just a burden that I felt like the Spirit of God put on my heart with regards to being a passionate inviter. Uh, You remember that last week? Getting a passion to invite. You don't have to be this phenomenal soul winner. You just really are called to be a passionate inviter. We're grateful for those that have the ability to share the gospel in skilled ways. But um, I just felt like the Lord said, you know, uh, I have called those and set some of those aside to be able to do that. But I've called a great number of people just to be a passionate inviter. And so uh, I just feel like that's an area I want to spend some time uh, dwelling in. And so I'm going to pick that theme up again uh, this morning. Uh, You know, I realize that everybody uh, on occasion, uh, a Christian in a church, may feel like seasons are over and it's time to maybe go and find another location to worship. You've fulfilled whatever it is that God had asked you to fulfill. I I respect that, especially in America. I know that people sometimes go through uh, church transitions and and so they're looking for a church and and they're already a believer. So I, I get that. But you do realize that the purpose of the church and the purpose of reaching out is not just so saints can shuffle membership roles. Now, we're we're grateful when people come and they feel like it's a time and they want to link up with us and and we receive them graciously. And I have, believe you me, released a number of people uh, because they felt like for whatever reason seasons had changed. But the bottom line is we're not just shuffling saints between churches. Uh, We have... A command. We have a purpose under God to reach out to the world. And today I want to teach on a familiar parable in Mark's gospel, uh, Mark chapter 4. It's a familiar parable about a farmer. Uh, Jesus used the word sower. There was a sower. And, And many of you are going to know exactly what this parable is all about. If you have not been here long, you've probably not heard all of my farm stories. Oh, you're in for a real blessing and treat, I can tell you, as I reminisce about my farm stories. Guys, I feel really hot back here on this thing, so you may want to bring this down just a little bit. I've been known to raise my voice on occasion. I grew up on the summers, through junior high and high school, I grew up being sent off into central western Kansas to uh, my uncle's house. I actually stayed at my grandparents' house. They were all farmers. My mom was the only daughter of a household of three other boys that all were on the farm. My grandfather was a farmer out in west central Kansas. And so through those summers, junior high and high school, all summer long, I was shipped out to the farm. And it was there, really, uh, I learned a work ethic. Because, you know, if if you don't have a work ethic as a farmer, in other words, if you don't want to get up and sow and you don't want to get up and tend to your fields and your animals, you're going to be in big trouble when it comes time to cash those things out and go to grocery stores and pay your bills. And so I learned a real work ethic while I was on the farm. And I got to do all sorts of things from summer to summer, and as you get older, hey, as soon, on the farm, as soon as your leg is long enough to push down a clutch, you are driving something. That's how it works on the farm. I mean, I'm, I'm about 12 years old, and they put me on a 24,000-pound grain truck that's got dual axles on it. I can barely push the clutch to the floor, and you're driving that thing around. I mean, that's remarkable. And they know this. I mean, it's, not, it's against the law to do this, obviously. But when you're in a farming community, the highway patrolman that's assigned to that community knows that's how it works in farm communities. And if he starts writing tickets to the young teenagers for driving grain trucks into town, I'll guarantee you that highway patrolman won't be there long. It's because that's just how it worked on the farm. And so it was pretty heady stuff when you're just, you know, a young teenager and you're sitting on top of grain trucks and combines and big John Deere tractors and, and you're set out in fields all by yourself. And anyway, it was just a pretty heady, responsible thing. But I can remember, though, there was one occasion I was allowed to do just about anything after you were trained. I was allowed to do just about anything on the farm. But the one thing I was not allowed to do was that when it came time to plant and you planted where we were, you planted soybean and you drilled wheat. You didn't plant wheat, you drilled it. That's what it was called. I was not allowed to do these things. In fact, none of, none of the boys, none of the young teenagers were ever allowed to plant 
or to drill seed into the ground on the farm. And the reason being is this. If you mess that one up, you've messed, messed everything up. And I've heard stories of, of uh, putting this, the seed wheat into the drill. And all of a sudden somebody's drilling and then they get done with half a day of drilling or however long that lasts in there. And then they open up and find out they had clogged uh, hoses. And so there were certain lines of the drill that, that wheat didn't go through. And so their field was literally not planted or drilled correctly. Now you can imagine that would be a big deal, wouldn't it, to a farmer. That just doesn't represent a mess up. That represents dollars and cents because that's your crop that's going to come in. And so sowing was incredibly important. Now, in the parable I'm about ready to read to you concerning this sower, I want you to begin to at least link hold of that imagery that when it comes to sowing, this, is, this isn't something that's optional. This is important. I mean, there's no harvest unless we learn to sow. There's no benefit unless we learn to sow. There's, no, there's nothing that, that can happen unless sowing takes place. I mean, you can have one of the most wonderfully tended to farms, but if you aren't out drilling and sowing, then, then not everything that needs to happen will happen. And Jesus put it like this in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Everybody there? If you're not there, it's going to be on the screen. And I'll just say one more time. This will be the last time I say it. Somebody got me a large print Bible. In fact, it was Jerry and Lynn Thorzel got me a large print Bible. I told the Wednesday night crew that I just feel like my preaching is better now since I can read the scripture finally. You say, what were you doing beforehand? I was having them posted on the screen overhead so I could see it. But now I can actually see the pages again. So I know, I know my, my, my preaching is going to, to get better exponentially just because I have a new Bible to preach out of. Mark chapter 4. Just wait and see. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And again, he, meaning Jesus, began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat, sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Now, get this, he's speaking to a great crowd. Then he taught them many things by parables, and said to them in his teaching, Listen, which basically in the original language means, Pay attention. Behold, a sower went out to sow. There's a farmer drilling some wheat here. Verse 4, And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And uh, interestingly, in this particular instance, just a few passages down, and I'll not take the time to read it, at least not at this moment, a few passages down, Jesus wanted to be sure they understood what he was saying to such an extent that this is one of the only parables that he spends some time and he says, I'm going to interpret this one for you. A lot of times he never interpreted it, but this one he said, I'm going to make sure you get this one. I don't want anyone walking out of here and not knowing uh, what it is that uh, I'm talking about familiar parable it was one of the first parables jesus ever taught to be honest i think even if he had not interpreted it it would be one of the easiest to understand in fact we might even call this an entry level parable there may be some parables you don't quite understand as you're reading through your bibles but this is one of those entry level parables because he wanted everyone to make sure they understood this he took time to interpret it he did not want us to mess this thing up and as I was looking at it, I thought to myself instantly, there are three what I call takeaway points that we can instantly see in the parable. Now, I'm going to come back and make some more emphasis on a couple of items. But there are three takeaway points in this parable that I want you to get right up front. Number one, he began to speak about indiscriminate recruiting. Indiscriminate recruiting. Now, part of this parable is that as a sower, 
we are to recruit potential disciples by sowing seed. That's what the parable's all about. And that seed, of course, is the Word of God, which he will tell us later. Now, I'm going to come back to that and explain that to you a little bit more uh, uh, in an expansive way because there are some things I think people assume or think, but Jesus really isn't teaching here. So I want you just to see that there's a sower sowing seed. That seed is the Word of God. And Jesus, remember, was actually teaching the multitudes at this particular point. And I believe, this is what I believe, he's talking to everybody. He wasn't in a leadership meeting. He wasn't in some off, you know, these are my three favorite disciples moment. He was talking out of a boat, talking to multitudes of people who had showed up, and he's teaching this parable to the multitude. Some of them had already linked up to him, some of them had not. So he's teaching this parable, and you say, well, then what was he trying to communicate if he's really talking to the crowds? Well, this is what I believe. I believe he was preparing them for what he was going to be doing in the next three years of his earthly ministry. I believe Jesus was preparing them at some level to know that he was going to go about scattering seed. You could believe that, couldn't you? That's exactly what he did. I believe, though it's valid for us as well, though, because we're called to model Jesus, we're called to emulate him, I believe it's valid for us to also take that personally and realize that not only was Jesus commissioned to scatter seed, but you and I are commissioned to scatter seed. Amen. Come on, if I have to do my amens, we'll be here for a while. Now, you may not be a Bible expert, but how many of you know everybody can throw a little seed? Come on, some of you are pretty good at throwing around a little manure. Come on, just take that to the next level, throw around a little seed. You got the fertilizer thing going. Let's get the seed thing going now. All right, get some seed out there. Not just your fertilizer, get some seed out there. And that's what he says. He says, you just, you just start casting seed. And there's this indiscriminate, I call it recruiting. He's just throwing seed everywhere because you see all the ground that it's hitting. He doesn't care where he's throwing it. He's just throwing seed everywhere he goes. Secondly, after indiscriminate recruiting, we see the initial responses. We begin to see four groups of people here that are analogized in these passages with different types of soil. The seed was sowed on different types of soil. And this is what was interesting to me as I began to reflect on this again. And that is basically, when you look at it, there was a positive or a receptive response from just about everybody with regards to the seed sowing. Now these are just initial responses, but this can really help you and me at this point. There may not be as much hostility as sometimes we think with regards to the sowing of seed in a person's direction. Now, I understand some other things happen, but let's just, before we get too far down the road in the parable, let's at least acknowledge that three of the four soils that got seed thrown at it, the Bible says the seed took hold. Are you seeing that? So 75% of your seed sowing is at least initially landing on ground that probably would be pretty positive to it. Three out of four, somebody would receive the word you share. I don't know about you, but if I have 75% chances or three out of four odds on anything in life, that's pretty good, wouldn't you think? Just three out of four. So think about this. If you were to scatter seed tomorrow on four specific occasions, the Bible says that three of those are going to be fairly positive responses. Now I share that with you because I want you to begin to expect that. Don't you expect to be rebuffed? Don't you expect that somehow they won't want to hear you or listen to you? Don't, don't expect initially that somebody's going to say, uh-uh, no way, get out of here. The Bible says that three out of four will respond positively, at least initially. Now, some of you here have perhaps at some time or another, if you haven't, you can go to YouTube, but you've seen how Ray Comfort, have you heard of Ray Comfort? And you know how he does the way of the master and he's out on the street or he's at, you know, some, some large place where crowds gather. And uh, he is literally presenting the gospel. We're not just talking, he's not just seed sowing. I mean, he is doing that, but he is literally sharing the gospel. 
And whenever I see Ray Comfort begin to do this, now listen, I'm a pastor and I've led people to the Lord and I've shared the gospel and I've made these presentations. But whenever I see him on the street doing those things, I don't know about you, but I get nervous for him watching that thing. Am I the only one? I mean, that's just, I mean, that is just, that is frontline stuff right there. And he does this and I find it just ironic that his name is Ray Comfort. Because whenever he does this, I know that I'm out of my comfort zone. See, so I think that's really ironic. But is it not interesting? And I understand they edit and you don't see everything that happens, but it is fascinating to me. And again, I understand there's editing going on. But people are usually gracious with him. They're not nearly as hostile as sometimes I think we develop in our, in our mentalities. And so what I'm sowing in you right now is that as we become passionate inviters or as we become seed sowers, I want to sow in you the concept that you may be surprised that people may be a whole lot more appreciative and, a, and receptive than, than you might have initially thought as you begin to sow your seed. And then finally, number three was the individual reactions. Now this is the part that can aggravate you because we see that one type of soil, the first type, just doesn't get it. It says it hits hard ground and nothing happens and, and birds come away and just, just picks the seed off. It literally uh, is uh, analogized to how Satan will come and he will steal it before they even have a chance to really deal with the seed that was thrown at them. However, the other three, it says receive it. And then two of those soils, when certain tests and adversity come into their life it says that the word is lost or stolen uh, one of the adversities it says that uh, there was some scorching heat uh, that came to it and there was no root so it withered away another one said that it fell among thorns and then it got choked out so so these things are indicating there was some adversity or there were some challenges that came their way or into their life and because they initially said yes to the seed or yes to the gospel uh, they faced these challenges, and as soon as the challenges came into their life, then it was all gone again. And then finally, uh, there was the last group, which says it fell on good ground. Now, let me just share, and I'm just using because, you know, I'm just statistically going through my, my brain here. Do you understand that according to the parable, there's a 25% chance that the seed you sow will lead somebody to fruitfulness? So one out of four seed-sowing opportunities will lead somebody to fruitfulness, to flourish. So it seems to me the key really is in this parable to sow everywhere you go. Because the more you sow and the more people you sow into, the greater the possibilities exist, number one, that people receive it, and number two, they may be the ones that end up having good ground, they're ready to receive, and they begin to flourish, or they begin to be fruitful in those things that you put into their system. Listen, I can't control the sun that scorches away the seed. I can't control the thorns and the thistles that are choking things out of people's lives. As we'll soon see here, they're, they're talking about the cares of this world and the adversities that come into people's lives. Listen, if people say yes to the gospel and then they want to go and get caught up in the ways of the world, I can't control that. I mean, I, I can't make them do anything they don't want to do. But I can still sow knowing that there are going to be some people I sow into that will say yes, and they'll not only say yes, but they'll say yes, and I'm ready to go all the way. The key for us is we just got to keep sowing the seed. We got to keep being seed sowers. Now, when people read this parable, I'm the same way, because for years, this is how I looked at it, but I feel like the Lord gave me a little bit different angle on this. Most people, I think, look at this parable, and that's pretty much what they see. They see the response and the reaction to these various forms of soil that seed is sowed into. Now, I've already mentioned to you that Jesus was talking to the multitudes, and I believe he was prepping the crowd. I believe the disciples were in that crowd as well, so he's prepping people. I believe he's giving them a picture. He's preparing them for some things. Listen to me. Imagine, I'm not Jesus, I know that. Jesus had much more hair than I have. I, so I understand. I'm not Jesus. But imagine just for a moment that just as Jesus was prepping that crowd, pastor is here today prepping this crowd. 
Just prepping you with some things. There's some leaders in here. There's some disciples in here. There are probably people in here that are just a part of the multitude. And and we're glad you're all here. That's what Jesus was doing. All these different uh, groups of people were there. And he's prepping them. And what he was saying to them all was, he was saying that not everyone was going to embrace what he was sharing. Jesus, think about this. If this be true, then Jesus was one for four. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus was one for four. Jesus didn't bat a thousand. I'll just I'll also remind you of another one, Judas. How many of you know Jesus didn't bat a thousand? See, perfection, I'm coming to see, perfection is the enemy of God's will. Just because Jesus wasn't going to bat a thousand with people didn't stop him from sowing seed constantly. If Jesus wasn't perfect in every, every opportunity he had to pick leaders or to sow seed, I understand he's perfect because he's the son of God. So, so don't, don't get me uh, uh, all tangled up in your precision. But just for a moment, understanding that people have wills and the ability to respond and, and realizing that Jesus didn't even violate their will because we know not everybody came to Jesus. We know on one occasion he was teaching on communion and he lost just about everybody. My point is simply this, if Jesus isn't batting a thousand and it didn't stop him from sowing seed, then we should realize we won't bat a thousand and we should keep sowing seed. And as we move into a season and hopefully an ongoing lifestyle of being passionate inviters, I want you to have a sense of reality. I want you to be encouraged before you go out there and embark on something that you have expectations for that are larger than what reality is and what even God's will would be. Remembering that three out of four people will probably be happy to listen to you and receive what it is you're saying. Three out of four. And that one out of four might actually say, I'll go all the way with this thing. I think that's a pretty good perspective to keep in our mind as we begin to move out and become these passionate inviters. Now, the angle. Seven things. There are seven things, I believe, a seed sower. There are seven things that you and I need to know as we go casting our seed. Now, if you believe, especially those of you last week who said you feel a specific call to be a seed sower, you need to get a handle on this. There are some more of you that God's working on. And we respect that. Because I had a five-year goal that 25% of our church would be passionate inviters on a consistent basis. And I understand we're not quite there yet, but I'm believing as I sow seed that some of you are going to be good ground and you're going to just see a blossoming and a flourishing in this area. You may not see it today, but it's coming. Amen. I'll amen myself. Amen. They're coming. So everybody needs to listen to me. Seven things a seed sower needs to know as you go casting your seed. Number one, you must have the desire to sow seed. See, a farmer has a need to sow seed. He knows that there can be no harvest unless a seed is put out there. Now, you've got to have a desire to sow seed. You've got to begin to see that you're on the line personally. It's not just what the church does. You're on the line personally. The Great Commission isn't just for the church. The Great Commission is for you and it's for me. That we're on the line personally to reach people. We are ambassadors. You, you are a part of the sowing of seed. Certainly we're in this church service. Pastors sowing seed right now. People are receiving it at all different levels. Certainly that takes place. But we all leave this place. And all of us sow seed everywhere we go. And I want you to notice, all the farmer did was sow seed. He really wasn't responsible for much else, was he? He just was going to get seed out there. Get seed out there. This was really helping me this week. Because you see, I think my job as a pastor, sometimes, you know, you feel like there ought to be more you can do, but there's only so much you can do with people. I I mean, after a while, people are going to do what people are going to do. But as a pastor, I still have to get it out there. Now, now some of you will latch hold of it and what I have instructed through the years. Some of you have embraced it. Some of you may have chosen not to for various other reasons. But I have no control over that. All I can do is sow 
the seed. Same with you. You can't, you can't make anybody do something they don't want to do. See, this is what I want to do. I want to sow seed, and then I want to go set their alarm clock and call them up and drag them out of bed. And here's what I want to do. I really, I want to get saved for them. If I could just get saved for you, I could get you down the road. So just, just let me get saved for you, and I will help you, and we'll get you where you need to go. Hey, that won't work. It doesn't happen. I mean, if people... If people say yes, and then somehow or another, they just, they, you know, they, they, they won't go to bed early enough on Saturday to get up on Sunday or whatever, they can't set their alarm clock or they can't get it right. You know, I can't control everything. You can't control everything. All you can do sometimes is sow seed. And they'll have to choose what kind of ground their heart's going to be. But we, I'm not talking about them now. Them will frustrate at times. But I'm not talking about them now. I'm talking about the seed sowers. As seed sowers, we keep throwing seed. Yes, we keep throwing seed at them. We keep throwing seed at others. Everywhere we go, we just keep throwing seed. We have to have a desire to cast seed. Number two, I want you to know that you do have seed to sow. Yes, you do. You got something to sow. You may not have a hundred scriptures personally memorized you know sometimes i think that's what keeps people from being a seed sower they 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 say to themselves well you know i don't have the bible memorized and what if they ask me a question i don't know have the answer for and hey let me share something with you i learned years ago and i still use it to this very day it's been one of the most helpful things i've ever latched hold of when people ask me questions that i don't know anything about this is how i respond to them you might want to write this down they ask you something and you are clueless write this down look at them and say i don't know i don't know that's a great question but i don't know but i'll tell you what i probably know someone who does know and if you'll let me find the answer out can i come back and tell you what the answer is now if they ask the question do you think they're going to say no of course not they're going to say well okay And what you get to do is you get to go find the answer, which is good for you anyway. And then you get to go back to them and sow seed again. Don't fake it. Don't make something up. Because you'll make something up and then you'll bring them to church on Sunday and I'll contradict you. And then you'll feel funny. Say, I don't know. I don't know. Just say, I don't know. But I'm, I will find the answer if that even takes place. But you've got seed to stow. Listen, the Word of God in that, in that time period, this is really important. You understand that in Jesus' era, the Scripture, and you have to understand this really with, with kind of like a train track, two things happening at the same time. They had an Old Testament Scripture, right? They didn't have a New Testament Scripture. So that, that, that kept them in the Old Testament. But secondly... The Jewish people believed that that when when the story was told, you have to remember there's a lot of oral tradition, there's a lot of oral transmission that has taken place. I mean, not everybody had their little Bible. You know, it's not like you know Jesus was walking around with his large print. Of course, he he had perfect eyes, so he didn't need a large print Bible. But I, I mean, you know, they didn't have the large print Bible and 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 was opening and flipping pages like that. Most of the time, what happened was. They'd, they'd talk with somebody and they'd just share the story. It was just a story. And so um, as they were sharing the story, uh, that would be the word of the Lord that would come to them. And I just want to encourage you that, that, that God has done things in your life. We call that today a testimony. And, and out of the testimony comes the word of the Lord. And, and that God's done things in your life and you can share those things and you're sowing seed. Some of you know a few verses, and you can slip those in as well. But we got, we got to quit getting hung up on, I don't have anything to say. Yes, you have something to say. You were at church here this morning. You could share with somebody what you heard at church on Sunday. And you're sowing seed. I'll never forget, I was, I was in high school in Oklahoma. And uh, we had just moved to Oklahoma. And this was before I was born again. And there was a guy in one of the classes I was in, and and he wanted to come over and share some things with me, and I didn't even realize I was getting set up for a, for a gospel presentation. Of course, you've got to understand, in those days, I thought I was okay anyway, because, you know, I tripped into church about every other week, and, and it was a pretty liberal uh, 
expression of Christianity, if we can even call it that. But, but anyway, he, he, he obviously saw I probably needed a gospel presentation, and so he wanted to come and bring a presentation, and it was really interesting. He came. Now, he was in, he was in sort of like the in people. You know how in high school they, they, you can have the in group and the not so in group? And, and I, I'm sure it's still that way, and that's sad. I guess we call them cliques. And, but he was in that group that was kind of the in-group. And so I thought that was kind of cool that he'd even want to hang out with me, you know. And uh, so he comes over, but he brings over, I'm not kidding you, he had this like mobile slide presentation. And he had this box, and this is mobile slide presentation, and you could push it down and you get this new picture. And he took me through creation to revelation. And sharing with me the gospel, of course, I was dumb as a doornail. I didn't know what he was doing. And he goes through this whole thing slides he had this recording tapes i mean and and he went through this whole thing listen to me this major presentation and it did nothing i got to admire him doing it but it didn't do anything a few years later i'm sitting in a service some gray-headed old guys preaching I don't even hardly remember what he's preaching, but there came a moment without a slideshow, without a cassette tape recorder, without books that he was handling uh, at the time. He didn't have to take me through creation to revelation. This old gray hair guy that I didn't even resonate with. I mean, when you're 18 years old and the dude's got gray hair, he's probably in his 70s, there's no connection there. I understand even with the young people. I get it. I, I'm just this old, bald-headed guy. And, and, and I understand the connection there isn't like, you know, you know, every now and then, like on Wednesday, I'll try to wear a shirt or something that kind of, you know, connects with them. And you notice I got these wide rims. You know, I'm trying my best to, you know, and you look at the jacket. The jacket's kind of, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I, but I understand there's only so much you can do with what you got here. And It's sowing seed. It's the story. It's, it's, it's the narrative. It's maybe the one verse out of the whole Bible. It's the only verse you got memorized. It can be any one of a hundred things. Just sow it. And if you'll sow it, the Holy Spirit will energize it and cause it to have authority. Tell them what God did in your life. Tell them you were blessed this week. Tell them about that unusual providential event. Tell them. Look at him and say, God moved today. Didn't know how this bill was going to get paid, but somehow God enabled us to do it. And you don't know. They may look at you and maybe they'll roll their eyes and maybe they'll just kind of give you a smirky grin that you can't interpret. But you don't know that that's not seed going into that heart at that particular moment. You got seed to sow. Yes, you do. Number three, I've mentioned this. You should have great expectation that the vast majority will receive what you say. I want to say this again. 75% of the people in the parable said yes. Now, I understand they didn't make it all the way, but 75% initially said yes. Again, pretty good odds. We need people to expect them to say yes. Yes. I marvel at times. I've mentioned this to my wife. You know, if you ever meet a true salesperson, you know, some people have an anointing to sell. I mean, they could sell anything. I mean, they can sell you stuff you don't want. They just got this anointing on their life. Hopefully it's an anointing and not, you know, a spirit of, you know, manipulation or anything like that. But, but I marvel, though, at true salespeople, true salespeople. Because they, most of them have the capacity to hear a thousand no's. They'll, they'll, they'll try to share or, or, or sell something and they'll hear no a thousand times. But they just keep presenting their product. Why? Number one is they want to eat. Number two is they know that the percentages eventually will catch up. There isn't a salesman in the world that if you were to look at them and say, I'm going to hire you for a job, that you will have a 75% yes rate. I don't know of a salesman in the world that wouldn't say, sign me up. We must begin to expect a yes Every time, listen, this is how we're going to work here too. Every time pastor comes to the end of a message and we know that that's the moment when in our church we solicit an invitation for people to give their heart away to Jesus. Hey, why don't we just start expecting a yes? Expect a yes. 
You need to expect a yes. You say if someone looks at you and says, you know, and just says, no, don't do it, I don't want to hear anything about it, then just look at them and smile and internally just say, well, you're one, you're the one of the four that's going to say no. I've got three more waiting to say yes. All right? Number four. Don't be shocked when people don't persevere. Don't be shocked when people don't persevere. Now, again, I'm just reading this parable and it really wasn't all that techy or complex. It's a pretty simple parable. But the point of the parable is not all that say yes are going to press on to fruitfulness. And I, and I really believe it's almost prophetic to the day we're living in. Jesus sets, it, sets us up by stating that 25% will persevere. Now, doesn't mean we give up on the rest. That's not what he means. But it puts some perspective to what we're doing here. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that even as people say yes and, and they begin to respond that, some, that the thorns and the thistles don't grow up in their life or the sun doesn't start beating down on their life. Don't be surprised. He says this is what will happen. That's why he would later look at us and he says these words. He says it is he who endures to the end shall be saved. See, this is a great parable to remind us that the starting line is not the finish line. Everybody can start well. The key isn't how well you start. The key is how good you finish. And that's what we're looking for, the finish line. So don't be shocked if people don't persevere. We want everyone to persevere. I want 100% a, a, a retention ratio. And of course, that's just not reality and it's not Bible either. So don't be shocked. Number five, don't place blame when people don't persevere don't place blame when people don't persevere it's interesting that even though 75 percent of these folk if we can use the terminology they fell away jesus in the parable never blamed the sower well stupid sower you should have went back and 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 chopped out those thistles for him Stupid sower, you should have got him an umbrella to keep the sun off it. Well, that's what some people want, you know. It's never, it's never them. It's always someone else's fault. Jesus didn't blame the sower. I just want to encourage you because along the way, when, especially when initially people say yes and then they, then they fall away, you're, you're going to hear things like, well, it was the... It was the church's fault. It wasn't the church's fault. Maybe it was the adversity you faced somewhere. Maybe it was a thorn or a thistle, but don't, don't, go, blaming, don't go blaming the sowers. Don't, don't, don't blame the evangelists. Don't, don't blame pastor. Don't, don't blame your mom. Don't blame your dad. I mean, that's easy, isn't it? Oh, the reason I am the way I am is because how I grew up. Well, isn't that convenient? Get over it. Isn't, isn't that, that's great counseling right there. Get over it. Come on. Get over it. Don't blame. Quit blaming. Come on, you're the one. You're the, you're the one. No one can get in that heart but you and God. I can't reach into your heart and make it do something. I can't, I can't soften you up on the inside. I can't rearrange what you're hearing on the inside. I can't do these things. I can't, you won't let me put my hands on your schedule. You won't let me make your decisions and I'm not looking to get in your schedule and nor do I want to make your decisions. I'm just simply saying you're the one that has the control of these things. The seed comes, the sower sowed, now you have to say, Lord, give me a heart that I can receive this and begin to implement these things. Now, I'm just going to read this to you because it starts in verse 15 of this same chapter and just so you can hear it from the mouths mouth of jesus he says and these are the ones in fact in verse 14 he says the sower sows the word he just leaves it at that the sower sows the word verse 15 and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown when they hear satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts so there are going to be some people listen that are so veiled by the god of this world they are so blinded they're so blinded by Satan himself that you can throw, you could, you could take my large print Bible and just throw it at them. Wouldn't do any, any good. They're just veiled. 
And so, and that's, that's, can I just stop here? That's one of the saddest things is to realize that there's seed going out. People have prayed. And folks will hear and they'll go, eh, and they'll just go. But he says that's some of them. That's, that's some of them right there. Then he says in verse 16, Likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately, it says, receive it with gladness. But they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now he says in verse 18, These are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. You know, all of a sudden, you know, you've got too much going on in your life. You've got yourself scheduled, you know, into the next three years. You're going here, there, and everywhere, and you aren't tending to the things that will make you grow and be fruitful in the kingdom. And then verse 20, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, some 30, some 60, and then some 100-fold. Now, I tell you that, it, it's simply because Jesus doesn't blame the sower. It just says the sower sows the word. These are the things that are stealing from people's lives. So remember that when you hear that. Because oftentimes, this is, we're, in an, we're in an accommodating time period when it comes to church life. We think that if we accommodate everyone to the nth degree, that somehow it will make them want to connect. Do you understand? However, however they connect is what you've got to do to keep those people. And here's what I've decided. I would rather have a converted person who has what needs to happen in their heart happening than an unconverted person trying to keep them attached to something they don't really want to be attached to. Are you following me? And sometimes that's what's happening in your personal life. You're trying to keep people on target, and I hear you, and, and God bless you. But, but you're saying, I'm wearing myself out trying to keep this person on target. They don't want to be on target. And there's nothing you can do to make them want to be on target until they determine that their heart will be made soft by the things of God so the seed can get in and begin to be fruitful. Otherwise, they will be a casualty. I don't want that. You don't want that. But we can't stop that. In fact, sometimes even God doesn't stop that in order for their bell to be rung so their heart will get right. Number six. Kind of goes with number five. Not everyone you throw seed to is good soil. Not everyone you throw seed to is good soil. Farmers have to plant at strategic moments. The soil has to be in a condition to receive the seed. You know, we, uh, we had to plow up ground, we had to disc the ground, we had to do lots of things to prepare the ground in order for the seed to go in in order uh, to grow and to bear fruit. You just can't throw seed on any old kind of ground. It has to be prepared, all right? Some people's hearts are so hard that they need to soak for a while. In fact, we tell people, oftentimes, I'll get phone calls like this, and it, I know people don't understand, and I wish they would, and... I guess we live with any misunderstandings. We don't want any, but sometimes people will say, hey, I have a friend. You know, they don't go to our church. They, you know, they don't really go to any church. They're needing counseling. They're needing this. They're needing that. Would you, would you take the time to talk to them? Now, listen to me. We love people. We want to help them. But I'm going to share something with you. If their hearts have not been softened, I, all that happens is I burn off a couple hours of a day. Now, I, I love that person, I know you love that person, and we want to help that person. But listen to me, here's how you help that person. You look at them and you say, get in church, get in worship, soak under the word, soak under the presence of God. Let's get the heart starting to be tilled a little bit. Let's get in an atmosphere where, where the Holy Spirit settles in, and maybe there's even a little conviction in the place. And maybe before we even start dealing with all the symptoms of your life, we first need to deal with the spiritual condition of your life. Listen to me. We love everybody. Hear me now. But not everyone's heart is ready to hear. They need to soak. It's just like this rain we've had out here. The farmers are happy because their ground is soaked. So now they can go plant their seed in the ground. And it will grow. 
You can be a skilled soul winner, but the reason you need to be a passionate inviter is because as people come to church, what you're literally doing as you invite them to church is you're doing your part to help their heart get soft before the presence of God and the Word of God. Are you following me? So don't think just being a passionate inviter isn't that big a deal. That may be the greatest deal that's ever happened in their life. Because not everyone you throw seed necessarily is good soil. Then finally, seven, never assume that one opportunity for a person to receive seed is their only opportunity. You know, here's what I believe. I believe that there are probably hard-hearted folks and, and under this first category, and they've lost all sorts of opportunities to respond to the word or respond to God. I, I realize that. We all know that to be true. The truth of the matter is, if you'll think back to when you were saved, perhaps. I, I think back to my own story. I sat in church for over six months. I sat in an evangelistic, at that time, warm-hearted. The presence of God was there. I sat there for six months the whole time. If you would have asked me, I would have told you the whole time, my heart is unmoved, I don't want anything they're selling, I'm not ready, I'm willing or able. The only reason I'm here is because I like this girl that I'm dating, and I'm coming here because she's making me come here, but I'm just here to tell you, there is nothing going on inside of me that's ever going to make me sign up for what you're offering. Now listen to me, that's what I would have said probably an hour before the service I got saved in. I'll say that again. If you would have asked me and I could go back, I, that would have been my line, well, 30 minutes before that service started. If somebody would have asked me that out in the foyer before we went in for service, the day I got saved, I would have looked and said, no way, I ain't signing up here. No way. No way, no how. I like my life. I like what I do in my life. I'm not even interested. Now listen, I didn't know that in a few short minutes, my life was going to be radically rearranged. Now, the question is, was that just one service? I don't think so. I think maybe that service was important for various reasons. But, but let me just give you a broader scope. I had six months of watering. There was six months of things I didn't even get at the time that were being, being sowed towards me. And my heart was getting softer until the moment came that one seed sower showed up and put the seed in me, and all of a sudden, that one took. It's interesting, because I've watched this happen even in our own church. You know, we'll have folks that'll go through even encounters. You know, we've gone through tons of encounters, haven't we? And we'll even listen to some folks stand up here and testify on stage about all that God did in their life, and all the transformation, and all of this, and all of that. But somehow or another, and you know this to be true, they're not with us today. In fact, they weren't with us two, three weeks after the event. Why is that? Well, I think it was intended to. It could be one of the other people that are represented here within the, within the parable. But Satan had an opportunity to steal perhaps the work that was going on. We can, we can analyze and we can try to figure it out. But here's the thing I just want to encourage you with. Don't permanentize. I made up another word here. See, If you're here very long, you'll create a new dictionary with Pastor Baird's new words. Permanentize. Don't you permanentize a person's initial response. Some people, like me, had to hear it for a number of times before it began to work in me. That's why you just keep sowing. You just keep sowing. I've had people say, but it doesn't do any good. Just keep sowing. You don't know what you're doing. It's inside of them. Just keep sowing. So here's the action plan, and we're going to end with this. Number one, start identifying the seed that you have in your heart and mind. Come on now, what has God said or done with you? You can walk out of this room today and God said something to you in this service this morning, something to you in particular. It's your word and now it's working in you and God's going to give you somebody, I believe this week, that you're going to be able to sow something into, maybe from just something you heard today. What's the testimony you have? What's the story you have? What's God been doing in your life? You say, well, you had not been doing much. Well, then get on your knees, begin to seek God, and let's see God do some things in your life. Come on, He's a miracle-working God. If He's healed you, if He's touched you, if He's done something in your life, you've got seed to sow. Come on, 
Find your seed. The farmer knows where his seed's at if he's going to plant it. Find your seed. What has God said or done or spoken to you? Number two, don't worry about the results. Just start finding moments of sowing. Come on, let's just get the result thing. That's in God's hand. Paul said this, some men, some men sow, some men water, but God gives the increase. So let's just put the results out of our scope of, of activity and just don't worry about that and just start finding moments of sowing. Where can I sow? What can I sow? This is a sowing moment. I'm fixing to go to the grocery store. I may be able to sow as I, as I visit with the cashier. I'm, I'm fixing to go get my hair done and my hairdresser needs to be sewed into. Where, where am I going next? I'm, I'm going over here. I'm, I've been invited to this thing at work and I'm, I'm, there's going to be a moment I can sow some seed. Come on, you've got to start thinking about where am I sowing seed because we're just indiscriminate sowers. We're just sowing seed everywhere we go. And then finally, number three, after you sow, begin to pray that the Spirit reigns on that ground and begins to cause it to sprout. Come on, you know when you sowed seed. My wife and I were walking the dog just the other day, have a brand new neighbor in our neighborhood. My wife's taking seriously the call to be a passionate inviter. She invited him, just a real easy moment. It wasn't anything big or unique just if you haven't found a church new in town we pastor legacy we'd love to have you come they just said okay thank thank you for asking they literally said well thank you for for telling us thank you what not a twinge of hostility that's all you can do now you pray lord i pray right now for that new person in my neighborhood would you agree with me right now i pray for that person that brand new person in my neighborhood i won't say a name out loud I know his name right now. But that, Lord, you'd cause the seed that was sowed to begin to bloom and blossom in his life. In Jesus' name, amen. That's not, that's not much, but you don't know that you aren't eternally putting something in motion that will forever change his life. You've got to begin to do that. I hope you come out on Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights, we're going to be doing a little more training with some video work and i'm going to be teaching along with the video so pastor will still be training some but some folks have come to me and they just said you know i want to i know that god's talking to me about becoming a passionate inviter and i'm i'm fearful i'm kind of scared i don't know what to say I, i'd like a little training in this area hey can i just share this if you'll come on wednesday night i'm going I'm to spend a good number of weeks we're going to watch some video it's not ray comfort it's actually reinhardt bonke and we're just going to we're just going to have some of that flame of of outreach and evangelism just to rekindle again in our heart because we need we are on a salvage mission you understand that right we're on a salvage mission and uh, we need we need to be seed sowers would you stand with me please